Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We're joined by Stephen Surratt. Stephen is a co-founder of College Benefits Research Group. We'll find out a bit about the organization. And we're going to be talking about um, this topic of college education and money. Now, some of you grimace when you hear those two ideas come together. Uh, But hopefully in our discussion, we can provide you with a bit of inspiration as well. Stephen, first of all, it's nice to have you join us on our program. Bob, thanks so much for having me. In beginning the discussion, a little bit of background, I mentioned College Benefits Research Group, your co-founder. What or how do you describe the organization? Um, Usually in in a long-winded way, I call it my 186 floor elevator speech, but I'll try to make it five floors or less for you. <laughs> Basically, what we do is we work with students and families, trying to help the students find the best colleges for them academically and socially, and trying to have the best financial outcome for the parents and the entire family. How old an organization is this? When did you start it? Uh, we started in, in 2008 efficiently, uh, officially. Uh, I've been doing financial advising for um, more than 20 years, and I have a partner, um, David Slater, who um, has been doing it even longer than that. Uh, that's about as far as I'm going to tell you, because after that you'll start doing the math and figure out how old we are. But um, in, in working with so many of our families with their whole financial lives, we found so many people really find a special challenge when it comes to figuring out how to pay for college. And it's, it's uh, you know, easy if you uh, could figure out a way to save enough when the kids are born, okay, and just put a, a ton away of money and save and save it, save it until they're ready to go. But we were facing a special challenge when people would come to us when their kids were already in high school. Mm. Okay, and and this long-term savings strategy doesn't work in that case. And then the other part was really just the rising cost of college, anywhere between five and nine percent tuition inflation now, going for better than thirty years. How do you save enough to keep up with that kind of tuition inflation? So those were you know the two main factors that led us to trying to figure out is there anything that we could do to help those families in particular. And once we found out that there are a lot of strategies you could employ, and certainly being informed about the entire process is, is the most important part of it, that's when we decided, you know, this is something people need. There's a real demand. I'm an entrepreneur at heart, and I said, this is a business. So uh, that's how we got into it back in 2008, and it's just been uh, an amazing ride ever since. We've now worked literally with thousands of families helping them through this process. When you started in this field all those many years ago, two thoughts. One, 
why this field? And then the other one is, what was it like at that time? What was basically the, the cost of college like back then? Well, first thing, uh, you know, how did we get into this business? Mm-hmm. Specifically because there's such a, there's such a need and there's so much bad information out there, um, contradictory information, preconceived notions. Well, my, you know, my student's not uh, the best student in the school. We're never getting any merit money. And, oh, I wait, make too much money. I'm never going to get any help from a school. And, uh, you know, a lot of times that's not true at all once you start to get into it. So there was just a, a lack of understanding that, that we tapped into um, finding solutions and, and how to really address those needs for, for our clients and, uh, and, and so many families that have come to us. Um, as far as the cost of college, it's been steadily going up. The uh, tuition increases have slowed somewhat where if a college raises their tuition 2 to 3%, they do it with great fanfare as if that's just fantastic and wonderful. Um, it's still a little scary. It's better than it's been, but uh, certainly not not uh, what we would want, and certainly not um, how much money most people have been earning on the money they've been putting away. Uh, one of the main things is how many people relate this process to what it was like for them, mm. right? And it's such a different landscape than it was for our generation. Um, what did we find? Two or three colleges. You know, we applied, we got in, we went. It was just a whirlwind. Now, with the invention of the Common App and all the competition and all the information that's flowing everywhere, um, people are applying to 8, 10, 12, 15 schools. Put on the Common App, you just want to add a college. It's fairly easy. So uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was USC last year, I think it was 160,000 applications for well under 2,000 spots. Wow. So it's just, it's hard to fathom uh, the numbers now. And it, it's, it's become a lot of um, uh, more of a detailed, n- nuanced, harder to understand process than ever before. So uh, that's one of the things that we, when we start educating our, our parents, is just don't relate your experience to what you have to focus on now. Well, is part of the approach, or I was going to say the trick of it, but maybe I don't want to use that word. It's part of the approach to almost treat this like a business. The whole idea of the application process, the preparation. I I, I love it. I, I I love the the thought of that. In that, if you're going to run a business, you're Look, my business, I'm proud of it. I think we make a huge difference in, in the families' lives that we work with. It's incredibly rewarding. I love what I do. Everybody it comes across, and everybody makes fun of me for it. Um, and that's why I say my, my hours that I work, well, it's morning, noon, and night, basically. But if you're doing what you love, you know what? It's not so bad. So I definitely believe in what I do. And, and in running a business, you want to believe in what you do. But you also have to live in the real world. We have bottom line, and we're not going to be around here to help anybody if we're not able to pay our bills and pay our lights and do everything else that we have to do. 
which means that we have specific objectives that we have to make sure we're, we're fulfilling in order to continue. The schools are doing it that way. They have to run it as a business, and I'm not taking that as a negative. They have to function. They want to get the best teachers, the strongest students. They want a great experience, and they want to uh, you know, build uh, strength so that they can continue in the future. But a lot of times, that's, that their goals are not congruent with what each individual student might wish to happen at that school. So they should be strategic as well as far as what are they trying to achieve, what's their goals, what's, they have to live in the real world, what's their budget, and what is their end game, what are they trying to get out of this college experience so that they're going through this in a way that, that really demands a return on this. And it's, it's not just the experience, it's what happens once I get this degree and I go forward, and they should be focusing on that as well. Well, is that the way that you advise parents to look at this process, too? Most certainly. Most certainly. And it's certainly a challenge because there's a tendency for people to follow the crowd to the biggest name schools, um, you know, and, and, and a lot of times that's subjective. They talk to each other. Um, a lot of people base all their decisions not on a lot of research, um, but a lot on just reputation or even perception of reputation. But it, once you start getting into the details of what a student really is looking for, what's right for the family, and what a particular school might be able to offer, um, you'll look at some of the state schools we have here in New Jersey, and if I mention a school to a student, they'll say, oh, you know, that's that school's for you know, for students that aren't great. And I'll say, yeah, but did you know they have a top-notch music program, the strongest in the state? And you know what? Their nursing program is also top-notch, and that's what they're known for. And they're like, really? I never knew that. And if that was, a, a you know, a path that they were interested in, it might, you know, bring in a school that's a possibility now that they're educated properly about what their choices are and what these schools are really all about. Well, part of the approach, it would seem, is the idea of, and it sounds like a cliche, but I'm going to say it nonetheless, doing your homework. I mean, part of the old trick with this, hey, there I am using the word trick again, is is being prepared. I mean, you you can't be over-prepared when it comes to trying to figure out financially and academically how to make this work, or can you? You think about it, though, because there's no shortage of information out there, and it gets to a point where you're you're trying to do your homework. Most of the parents that come to us, they want a great outcome, okay? I mean, to hire a firm and put in the time that it takes to to do this right, it's a real commitment. And so there's many families that look to do the research and try and visit but because there's a lot of competing interests out there, there's a lot of bad information, and it's hard to know where to look to get the right information and really make it personalized. Um, I don't want to pick on any particular schools. They care about their kids. They're doing a, hopefully a great job in educating them. But how does a school or a school district want 
you know, their school district to, to be perceived. They want it to be ranked very high as one of the stronger school districts in the state. And if they're not there, they're working on making it that way. And so a lot of times, if they're looking at where they want their kids to go to college, they might be just looking at the rankings because that's going to help them. Okay. And that's not very individualized for what's right for a student or a family. And they certainly can't talk finances and, you know, what people are earning and what assets they have and how that's going to be calculated. So because we work with each family on an individual basis, we really can customize each plan for the student. And my other partner, she's a certified educational planner. Her name is Janet Lauren. And, you know, uh, she visits, you know, between 50 and 75 schools every year. Um, she really gets to know the schools and what they look for. So it enables her and our team to really coach our students and our families on, on how to do this right, efficiently, and also effectively so they get great results. Interesting discussion that we are having on our program on The Fan Sports Radio 66, Sports Radio 1019. I'm Bob Solter. We're in a discussion with Stephen Surratt on our program. Stephen is a co-founder of College Benefits Research Group. We're finding out about the organization, talking about this idea of higher education and finance, and we've really just begun in uh, our chat. It's Rick Wolf's Sports Edge program that follows our 8 o'clock update. Ed Randall is talking baseball after our 9 o'clock update on the fan. Now, one of the things that I was thinking in preparation for our talk today is the idea of the fact that, and you've alluded to this a couple of times already, that there is so much information out there, okay? The Internet has obviously changed the way in which everything works in this world. Is that a good or a bad thing when it comes to how it is we as individuals, we as parents, should approach this process? It's both. Bob, it's both. It's it's wonderful that there is now more sources of information than ever before. And so knowing knowing what's real, if you could find it, and relating that to how you go through this process and your planning is wonderful. The the flip side of the coin is there's so much garbage out there. And it's, a lot, it's hard to know so many times on what's reliable and what's not reliable. Um, so what, part of what we do in our service is, is we put together a personalized portal for each one of our students and families where their positioning, either academically or financially, could be related to... Um, information that we've already vetted uh, because we know what's reliable and stuff that comes from the Department of Education or um, from, from so many other sources that we already know are good. And so it, it streamlines that process for our families. It's certainly a help. Um, so it's a good thing, and, it, and it's a bad thing for us overall. It's, it's wonderful because, you know, as professionals, we're doing our homework, not just for one student or one family, but we're doing this day in and day out so we could really pre-vet the, the stuff that's useful and relevant for our families. Radio.com. 
Radio.com. Let's get into a couple of different areas because this process at times gets and seems overwhelming because of some of the terminology. You know, people have heard this term FAFSA used before, which is an acronym. First of all, what exactly is FAFSA? And then let's talk a little bit about how it is FAFSA has changed. Sure. The FAFSA is the free application for federal student aid. And I think it's taken me about eight to ten years to actually say it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll hear me slip sometimes even now. FAFSA. It's a very difficult acronym to put together. But um, it's the form that the federal government has, has created for schools to utilize in determining their financial aid eligibility. Now, eligibility and what financial aid a student might get is very different. Okay? So people make that confusion all the time. But this FAFSA is, is a financial aid form. And if a school wants to have access to federal resources to distribute to its students, either in grants or loans or work study or in the like, they have to accept the FAFSA. So generally all the schools accept it. About, um, you know, one-third or so of the schools ask for additional financial aid forms or information um, because the FAFSA is sometimes limited in what it asks for, and some schools want a broader financial picture. But um, it, it's, it's, it's a form that every school is going to want, and even if you wanted to take out federal loans, it's a form that has to be filed. So it's important to family fill it out. Even though sometimes it's confusing, um, it's important they fill it out. Okay, important they fill it out. How complicated a process is that? Um, it, it's, it's, it seems like it's easy, and yet the majority of people, when they file it, file it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, there's a lot of fine print in there, and so it, sometimes it's, it's difficult to navigate. Um, basically, it wants your income, and it wants your assets and student assets, but should you count your home? And the answer is not if it's your primary home, but if you have a second home, it has to be counted. And what if you have a retirement account? And the answer is no, that's not supposed to be on there. And what if I have three kids and the money is, you know, in one of my other kids' names should be counted? So, they're, they're, you know, it, it gets more complicated, um, you know, as, as people start to read into it and get, get into it. But um, there's lots of resources. I mean, we help our families with that form because we want to make sure that it's done right. Um, it's a federal form, and you have to fill it out both truthfully and, um, and you want to do it in a way that uh, is proper so that you um, could get it processed quickly and be in line for whatever you might be eligible for. Um, it's always been that the earliest you can file it was January 1st of your student's senior year, and that's the big change that happened this year, and it's been a very big change because the way it used to be is you'd file your FAFSA as early as, you know, January. Um, and if you were doing January of 15 for somebody going in the fall of 15, you would have used 2000 and 
14 tax information, which basically means you're filing the FAFSA in the year that just ended. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't file my taxes in January. <laughs> right? No, I and don't so, either. Right. As most people don't. And you start to look at the national acceptance deadline, which is typically May 1st, that you have to let the schools that you've applied to and have accepted you know that you're coming and that you're accepting the rewards. And people now are going all the way into April before they file their taxes. It hasn't given the schools enough time to really vet whether the information coming in on the FAFSA is true or not. Because people would file in January were putting in estimates. And that was exactly what you were supposed to do, but it would always have to be verified a little further down the road. And, Bob, you're going to be shocked on this. Sometimes when it was verified, it was different than what was originally submitted. Oh, hang on. Let me get up off the floor. Whoa. <laughs> Shocker of shockers. And, <laughs> and, you know, people were getting, you know, a $5,000 grant, and all of a sudden it went away. They don't really care that it was because they put in the wrong numbers. They're just not going to be happy. So there was a real challenge in it and a crunch time, and people were um, bunching up against deadlines. And the schools have been really pushing for a solution to this for quite some time. So the big change this year is they said, well, you could file your FAFSA as early as October of your student's senior year. So for this year, it meant that October of 16, you were filing your FAFSA mm -hmm. for your student going in the fall of 2017. Now, if you think it was hard enough to estimate what your numbers were in January after the year was over, <laughs> imagine how difficult it would be to estimate it with three months left to go. <laughs> right? So what they did is, is they said, well, what we're going to do, instead of using that year's tax information, we're going to go to the prior, prior year. They call it PPY, prior, prior year. And they're going to go back to 2015 tax information. Wait a minute. Hang on for a second. Ah. They call it PPY. They're talking about the prior, prior year? Sure, because the student's going in 2017, mm. and they're using 2015, which is two years earlier, tax information. Ah, my head is spinning. <laughs> and if you want to spin a little bit more, when you file the FAFSA, you're not putting in the asset information or how much you had in your stocks or your bonds or in your bank account for 2015. You're putting in that info of the, what it is on the day you're submitting the form. Oh, isn't that lovely? So, dizzy yet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Correct. So that was a big change this year, and it, in one way it's helped because at least the tax information that, you, that the colleges are looking at, they're, they're generally assured it's real because it was filed. Mm -hmm. Right? In one way it's difficult because, um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I talk to people where their financial situation might have changed drastically over that period of time. Yeah, exactly. So it... it does create problems sometimes. All right. So if that's the case, and you know you have this, this two-year window there, um, how then do you advise somebody who's 
financial situation has changed that drastically, you know, whether it's negatively or positively? Well, if it's positively, you probably just want to let sleeping dogs lie. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> right? So if you're making, you know, $25,000 more this year than you did last year, and you're required to send last year's information, that's all you're going to do. And it's totally legal. It's, of course, above board. That's following the rules. But um, if your income has significantly gone down, or, God forbid, you have a special circumstance uh, or loss of a job or something like that, um, that you actually have to take that information and, and appeal directly to the financial aid offices at all the schools that the students apply to. And they have the ability to go in and, one, they have the ability to go in and actually adjust the FAFSA and recalculate it, um, but there's certainly complexities with that. And they certainly internally can take it into consideration with any of the uh, aid that the school themselves might have available or make available. So it's on a school-by-school basis, and they're not mandated by any, any rule that they have to take into consideration. And it's hard to know. I mean, we're, we're getting through this season now, and for my clients, we've had an amazingly good year, um, but it's hard to tell because there, it's just happened this year on whether or not people that were in that situation really were treated fairly according to what their current income is. So the jury's still out on that one. When we talk about College Benefits Research Group, from the standpoint of some of the people who are listening to us who may want more information on the organization, maybe they want to be in touch with you, how can they find out about the organization? Best ways, go to our website, and you'll be able to find just a plethora of information that we have up there. Um, We've always run our business in a way that educates and it's it's just a central core value that guides us because we believe that there's such a deficiency out there of reliable and relevant information that we put a lot out there that doesn't entail that you ever come to see us or hire us so on our website we've got uh, tons of videos. It's, I do programs like yours, and we've done TV programs and news specials and things like that. And um, a lot of that stuff is posted, and it's all informational um, so that you could actually learn from it. I mean, one of the jokes I make is you could probably look at all this stuff on our website and not need to hire us, but, uh, Bob, shh, don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's, there's great stuff there, lots of uh, news articles there, too. Um, We have a lot of client testimonials on there, and these are people that we've worked with that are in their own words. Sure, they say we're great, okay? I'm not going to lie to you about that because if they didn't say we're great, we probably wouldn't put them on our website, okay? (laughs) But what you'll find is they actually talk about what they've done or what we've done together for very specific um, aspects of this, and that's really why we picked 
the you know the subjects that we that they talked about you know uh, from all that footage that our clients had given us um if a student some students don't test well and it's a i keep a box of tissues in my office cuz all i have to do is ask a student so did you take an sat and they'll say yes and i'll say so how'd you do and that's it they're balling mm-hmm. okay um and there's so much pressure out there so if they don't test well, does that mean that they don't do well and they don't uh, have, uh, you know, a lot of potential in, in areas? That's, you know, could certainly be the case. And the good news is, is that there's a lot of schools that understand that. So we want to make sure that we're finding those schools. So uh, we have a client that talks about that challenge and how we addressed it and how, uh, you know, they were successful. So lots of stuff there they could learn from. We do free workshops in and around uh, schools, libraries, all that, um, that are great. People love our workshops, so they could always come to that as well. Um, and, again, that's how we built our business because it's complicated um, and it's also personal. After they've learned a lot of things either from our website or one of our classes, if they, if they feel a need to want to work on a more customized individual plan, then they could come see us. But the very least, there's no pressure, and there's lots to learn that you from us that uh, would never entail that you have to actually hire us. When you talk about the idea of a family trying to position itself best to be in that recipient area with financial aid, one of the things that has been brought up in discussions before on this topic, on this program, is the idea for parents of starting early, okay? My question to you is, how early? Um, how about, I'll give you my own example. When I look back and say, when should I have started planning? Probably before my wife and I started to go, go to the fertility doctor. That early? <laughs> it's never too early. Okay, so the, the truth is, the earlier the better, as far as what to do financially and how to do it. Should we use the 529 plans? Should we put it in retirement plans? Should we pay off our house early? And, and there's so many questions, and there's no one answer for everyone. So to work with a responsible planner that helps you examine what your options are and what the benefits in, of each strategy might be, is really what you want to do. So the earlier, the better. Now, what we do is whenever a family comes to us, you do the best you can from there. Um, unfortunately, we sometimes have people come when their kids are already in their senior year. And, uh, you know, it's, it's saying, well, okay, you're coming to me. You're telling me that there's a fire. You want me to put it out? Hate to tell you, the barn's already in ashes. <laughs> right? So, um the, the earlier, the better. It's never too early to plan. Now, when is it smart to start focusing on the student side of this and finding the right college? Uh, sophomore year is a good time that a lot of families come to us, and sometime in their sophomore year, the majority of our clients are in their junior year, and we'd like to get the juniors into our office as early as we can in their junior year so that they could be strategic. Um, they're still busy. They've got schoolwork. They've got social life. And now you've got to throw the complexity of, uh, you know, planning for college. And 
you want to incorporate this and use time to your advantage. So the earlier we can get a student in here, probably the less stress they're going to have. And what reaction do you get from parents, from students, when you say that? Sometimes it's a sophomore, isn't that early? And and then I'll give them my fertility joke or, or, or whatnot, <laughs> right? Um, actually, most people are feeling the pressure in junior year. So a lot of families that said, you know, we'll figure it out, everybody figures it out, everybody figures it out, starts to get into it, and they're like, man, this is just not looking good and not, you know, this is a lot more than I ever thought. This is really complicated. And then the student wants this, and the parents are worried about this, and then there's pressure that way. So, you know, they're coming pretty motivated, uh, looking for help. The saving plans, you know, you mentioned 529 plan. We've had some discussion on that topic before on this program. Plans like that, number one, how do they work? And number two, in general, and I realize I may be asking kind of an open-ended question. Mm-hmm. Don't they, worry, because I, I, I am free with my opinions. Are they so. a good idea? <laughs> I'm going to go back to what I just said. Um, there's benefits, and there could be drawbacks. And so I think what's most important is for uh, a, a family to examine all their options before deciding on you know, one solution. What's good about the 529s is tax-free growth in, your, in the investments. Uh, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, okay, to be able to invest <laughs> somewhere and have it grow. And then if you use it for as, you know, as long as it's, uh, you know, allowable co- uh, college expenses, that never have to pay taxes on that growth, uh, you're not going to get an argument from me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the taxes that you're avoiding, well, they're capital gains taxes, typically, right, which is the lower tax rate. They're not income taxes you're avoiding. In most states, you don't get a tax deduction. Um, you get a slight tax deduction, I believe, in New York um, state state taxes, which is another benefit, but the money you're putting in there, you know, you've already paid your taxes on by and large, and so it's not a, a you know tax deductible strategy. Um, but there's still, like I said, tax free growth on any of the growth. But if you have little or no growth, uh, you've had little or no <laughs> benefit from it. Uh, the, one of the other nice things, and sometimes I, you know, parents are actually shocked that I'll say nice things about 529s, is that it's a parent-owned asset, typically. Sometimes grandparents own it, and there's problems with that sometimes that people don't realize. But typically it's owned by the parents, and therefore the student and their kids, they're the beneficiaries. And that means well, if you've got two or three kids and one of your kids got a free ride, you can just change the beneficiary and use those funds for your other kids. That's kind of nice. Um, or, or maybe if the kid really drives you crazy and makes you angry, you don't want to spend money on that kid. You could always <laughs> change the beneficiary. Um, so that's nice, too. One of the downsides is, and I have three kids. Uh, I have a son actually in college and twin girls that are in high school. Ooh, so, ooh you got yeah. challenges ahead for you. I, I will tell you, the drama runs deep in my house. I had to get a, <laughs> I think I had to buy a male goldfish or I was just going to go crazy <laughs> with the women in my house. So, 
And again, Bob, please don't tell him I said that or I'm in serious trouble. But um, <laughs> um, I love them all the same. Uh, you know, and maybe not exactly the same on any given day. But if I averaged out all the days, I definitely love them all the same. And I want to be fair to all of them, just like most parents. So if parents use 529s, they don't just open one. They open one usually for each one of their kids, and they fund it. Now when they go ahead and apply to colleges and they send in their financial aid forms, they're listing for their first kid all their assets. Well, guess what? Those 529s are owned by the parents, which means that the entirety of all the 529 money, even the one that has beneficiaries for the other kids, is counted as if it is to be used for the first kid. Mm-hmm. Most people never realize that. So, you know, there's things like that. There's also restrictions, and if you have losses in the 529, it doesn't, you know, help you offset any of the taxable gains you might have in your other portfolio. So, uh, you know, you want to examine it. And our feeling is if you can understand it, then you can make a better decision on what you're comfortable with. And maybe you want to diversify your strategy a little bit and, and look at, you know, some of the other things that, that might make sense as well. In that situation where, you know, very often parents have multiple kids in college or headed to college, yep. best advice for them? Um, well... It's funny that you bring that up. I had a set a family that came to me first time referred to us that has triplets. Mm. I had them in my office today, and we've actually worked now uh, with four sets of triplets. And again, like everything else, there could be uh, you know difficulties with that because you're talking three tuitions at the same time. And that's certainly a challenge. But also in the way that they calculate what your ability is to pay, they factor in how many kids you have in college at the same time. So if they say you could afford, you know, X number of dollars, it's, it's going to be just, you know, for simplicity, say about half allocated to each student, which means each one may have a much bigger need because they're both going at the same time. So if you've got triplets, even if you're making significant income, a lot of times you could qualify for significant aid that you never would have believed that you could qualify. So pretty interesting. And, and it, it could get more complicated from there. I mean, this one particular family, um, you know, they had remarried and the, uh, the new spouse had several children and um, and now the ex-spouse got married, and they have several children. And a lot of times when you're applying to schools, they're asking not just what the custodial parent makes, but also, you know, the new husband and the ex-husband and the ex-husband's new spouse. So they're counting four adults, all their income and assets, as if it's going to be used for one kid. So the, the process is not perfect, and it's not always fair, but it's important to know what you're walking into. Well, I want to thank you for providing us with some insights in this area. Stephen Surratt, who is co-founder of College Benefits Research Group, our guest in this portion of our program on the fan. Uh, would you again mention the website? Sure. It's cbrg.info 
So like College Benefits Research Group, cbrg.info. And uh, great stuff over there. We have our whole uh, workshop schedule over there. If you ever wanted to come to one, you could see where we go. And uh, that's the best place to go if you want to learn more about uh, our, our company. Stephen, thank you very much for joining us. Certainly the best continued with uh, your work. And um, thank you for sharing this information with us today. That's my pleasure. Really nice talking about it. Thank you. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.